Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, TJ Van Toll. And with me on the panel, I have Paige Niedrichhouse. Hey, everyone. And our special guest today is actually a returning champion. We have Travis Rafe Mayer on the show. Travis, how's it going? Going great. <laughs> cool. Well, we've had you on before. It was episode 156, if anybody's curious and wants to look back, to talk about Bedrock Layout, a CSS framework you've you've been working on so but why don't you start by you know introducing people in case people don't remember episode from a year ago <laughs> tell people who you are you know what you do why you're famous and then maybe from there to start tell us what bedrock layout is about maybe we could start there yeah sounds good hey folks this is charles maxwood from top end devs and lately i've been working on actually building out top end devs if you're interested you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendev.com. Yeah, so I'm Travis Waithmere. I'm a software engineer. I've also had a personal change. I used to work for Anonymy Labs the last time I was on. I now work for Plex, the media service provider. So nice. that's been a change. And throughout all that, though, I still maintain, I created and maintained the Bedrock Layout Primitive Library, which started out as a React-based component library to allow you to compose layouts. I've also kind of get, got a little bit better with messaging. <laughs> I, I now call it the Lodash of web layouts because oh, the nice. ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the idea is like, it's just like Lodash. It's a whole bunch of utility functions or in this case, utility components that by themselves don't do everything you need, but one composed together, like lets you do pretty complex stuff. But more recently, I have evolved. It was, it was built, like I said, on React and unapologetically on style components as well, <laughs> which is great. But that also limits you to a using React and using React with style components. Mm -hmm. And I knew to future proof and also for just my own sake as I will go explore around in different opportunities. I still want that fun, composable, like way of building layouts, but I don't want to recreate the library for every single framework. I don't want to create a view or a solid layout or a, you know, just all the, whatever version I happen to be interested in. Mm -hmm. Or, or even if I do, I want something that's easily transported between the two. If that's eventually something I end up doing. So that basically means I need to, I go right back down to the platform and, and use, go to CSS and the hardest part was like, how do I recreate the fun, composable way of building layouts that I was doing with Bedrock, but using only CSS? Mm -hmm. And that's where I, I kind of feel like I stumbled on some really good methods with what's called the AVO method of building CSS. And it, that's helped me translate this in a great way, in a very composable way, but still like main, 
well, in a very raw CSS kind of way, but still composable, like in a component library. Awesome. So there's quite a bit to unpack there. So (laughs) my first question, if we just, if we, maybe we can start with just the CSS only approach of Bedrock layout. I'm curious when it came to developing that, is it like, I'm assuming like it's sharing code between the components and the actual, just the, the CSS library that's standalone, were you able to like abstract that fairly easily or was like, how much work was it to try to make the two? Like, I'm also wondering, like, as you maintain this, right, like, is it easy to maintain these things side by side when you need to make an update? How, how do you have that, that working from a development perspective? So right now, yeah, it's a separate CSS package. And right now it's all being managed in like a mono repo using Lerna. I have debated whether it going everything that's been going on with Lerna lately, whether it makes sense to jump ship and go over to turbo repo or whatever, but that that's like nuances and details. Could you quickly uh, just say what like <laughs> Lerna is and what the, the drama is? Cause I, yeah, I'm, I, uh, yeah, I'm out of the loop. Yeah. Lerna is a, it's a tool that allows you to manage mono repo. And, and for those who don't know what a mono repo, it's not a monolith. It's un- the naming is kind of unfortunate because it kind of gives like, some ideas of what it actually isn't just because of the word mono in there. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, it allows you to maintain in one repo multiple packages as if they were separate repos, but they all have interdependencies. So for example, in the case of bedrock, there is a grid component, but there's also a masonry grid that uses the grid component, but then builds on top of that. And so if I go make a change in grid, I also so don't want to break something in the masonry grid by accident, but I'm not working on the masonry grid directly and they're separate packages. That, and if I make a breaking change in the, in the grid component, I also want to do a update to the masonry grid and do a breaking change because it's dependencies. So all these things can get really complicated as that, that scales as you can imagine. Well, Lerna allows you to do things at the root and do them across multiple things. It keeps track of that. It will it will keep track of your, as, as you make breaking changes, it will automatically know, hey, masonry grid needs to get a, in this case, would need to get an update. And it do, does all that. So me as an individual, I can still do, manage a pretty, getting kind of large library of components by myself still, or with just a few maintainers. I, I have to say, just just real quickly, everybody should just look up Lerna. It's L-E-R-N-A just to see their logo because it's <laughs> it's kind of amazing. It's this like multi-headed dragon. It's such a good metaphor. Um, I am curious on the, the drama of it because also if you go to their GitHub repo, the thing on top, the very first note on the readme is your favorite tool is alive and well with a link to a blog post. <laughs> and I have to say like, that's not the most reassuring to see is like the very first in bold met. They might want to work on their messaging. That's it's not usually how you try to reassure well, your community that, that things are fine. The context behind that was like Lerna, it was created. Well, and I don't know if you know a lot about Storybook. Same thing. It's created by somebody. They're like, I'm kind of done with it. And it's been skipped around from maintainer to maintainer to eventually like people are like, no, nah, I don't want to. I'm kind of done with it. And it was officially like announced. We're done. It's over. We haven't found anyone else to maintain it. Uh, And then NX, I believe the company behind that said, no, we still want this. We think this is good. In fact, we can grow, make it competitive to some of these other tools that are out there. They took on the library and, and so it's got a corporate backing now. 
Yeah. So that's good. Like, or at least, yeah, someone who actually is getting paid to maintain it and, mm-hmm. and build it and integrate it with their tools. So the good is there are people actively maintaining it. Who knows now that it's part of a corporation, who knows where it's going to go? Cause it's now going to be a tool for their benefit mm-hmm. first and foremost. But I still think ultimately it's still going to be good. Just like Storybook was ultimately adopted by Chromatic mm-hmm. and it's going to be a tool for Chromatic's purposes, but it's still a good community tool in and of itself, yeah. in my opinion. So I, I have cautiously optimistic. I have decided not to change yet, <laughs> but there are some uh, that and it's just so hard to change some of those things. That... It is. Once you lock in, that's really a lot of work to extract yourself. So Lerna is a little bit on the fence. It's It sounds like it's stabilizing, but who knows what direction it's going to go now that there is corporate backing for what was once a completely open source project. Have you looked into other ones? I think Narwhal is another one that is pretty good for mono repos. Narwhal is the one, that's the one the companies adopted at Lerna. And I oh, think they're okay. going to be like, yeah, I think they're going to be like integrating and finding a way to make that work. Got it. But the other one, yeah, is Turbo Repo, which is owned by Vercel mm. now. See, I, I think a lot of these really big tools are eventually just going to get owned by other <laughs> corporations. It's crazy the way the JavaScript <laughs> sure. world is now. Like it used to be this way with companies, oh. and now it's like the JavaScript ecosystem. Like everything, there's so much money that these, <laughs> these, yeah. these you get popular, and Vercel's got money in the bank they can throw at some person that creates a cool tool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and Netlify recently started sponsoring Ryan Carniato to do Solid JS just to build yeah. like a framework. Like, yeah, I think that's really cool that they're doing that. I mean, it, it most I, I'd say overall, most companies that have done this, like the Storybook example, is is one good one. Have done right because they know that it'll look bad upon them if they take like a beloved free open source tool and like corporatize paywall. it and yeah, paywall it exactly. So. <laughs> I think for the most part, it's been good. And I mean, it gives people that, you know, it took time to create something usually for free and gives them a yeah. chance to get paid to do it. So it's mostly a good thing. It's just kind of just crazy that this is the world we've, <laughs> this is the model we've ended up with. Yeah, I know. But I think that's probably the most sustainable for like these really big things. Like I'm surprised. I think Vue is probably the exception with V and everything he does. Like, I don't yeah. know how he's been able to maintain his, his life <laughs> as, <laughs> as the benevolent dictator, as they say, whatever, over the Vue <laughs> ecosystem and V and everything that keeps coming out of that without direct corporate sponsoring. But for the most part, it seems like every other really big library needs that just to can maintain just the community, mm. be able to like handle everything that needs to happen at that, that level. So Vue very much has a sponsorship. Don't feel sorry for the people behind Vue. Uh, and I can say this with some background. So if you go to the Vue homepage and you scroll down, you'll see a bunch of logos. And I know firsthand that it costs a lot of money to be one of those logos. Because uh, the company I used to work for paid a good chunk of money to be on that list for quite a while. And then we debate every year when it came up again, whether to renew. So... Uh, the view people are doing all right. So I wouldn't feel that, too bad fair. for them. That's yeah. another model, but like that view is also some of the sep- exception because it's gotten to such a huge scale that they can do that. Whereas like your average JavaScript library, not very, not very many people invent the next view. So this yeah. model isn't like for everybody out there, but the only other 
like a really interesting model I can think of is what Tanner Lindsley's doing with the Tan stack. You know, he's built all these awesome libraries that make React query easy and React table and React location and this and that and the other. But he's using all of those same libraries to run his own business. So I don't know when the guy sleeps, but he's come up with a really good idea. And, you know, everybody else likes it so much that they just want to contribute to it and be part of the open source part of it. And it actually helps him do his business. So it's 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 impressive. (laughs) It is. And it's really interesting because, yeah, his point of view is that if if I can find an open source thing that will do what I want, I'll just use it. But if I can, I'll make it. Right. And. And so when he makes it, that's almost like, what, what is it that the other one is not doing out there? Like when React Location came out, mm-hmm. and it's like, what is, what is he not getting from React Router or any of the other, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's kind of an interesting statement when if he chooses to make a library. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But yeah. So kind of going back to <laughs> where we were several questions ago, you were talking about how how it's currently yeah. built and how you oh how to it. transition yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah so i it started off as like let's just like let's just build it uh, as its own thing as if the other thing didn't exist obviously i built it before so it was, it was definitely informed but it was like let's build this on its own and it's as it's evolved we can get into some more details about how how i've, I've gone about it using like the avo method and all that but it's now, now that I've built it in isolation, it's now informing the other packages and I've revamped and restructured. So they now complement each other more and they're, it's informed the other backwards actually is interestingly enough. Instead of what I would have assumed was if informed the way I built the library, but it's in fact done the opposite. Interesting. Well, one question that I have, because I'm thinking about how styled components work in a typical React application, which is they're written in the same file as the JSX and the JavaScript and everything else. So how did you, how did you take that and make it into a pure CSS framework? Is it kind of like, I don't know, like Tailwind or like Bootstrap where classes have particular properties assigned to them and then you just kind of combine them in whatever framework you might be working with? So that's very interesting. The part that came the longest for me was trying to figure out like what was the API going to look like in this because I didn't want to lose this component prop-like API that I got. I really liked like that where you can say, hey, this is a, this layout component. Here's some props that configure and just get you to exactly the right thing. But the class-based system was never like, it really kind of, I didn't really enjoy it. For A, I wanted, I've always looked at Bedrock as not a complete library in itself and never will be. It's always going to be complementary to somebody else's design system or somebody else's library. So if someone's adopted Tailwind or something like that, I don't want to colli- have collisions with their class names or things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do with just class names without some type of like, like library or something, some type of build tool that it like will enforce that my class names will be unique or whatever. But I don't want to enforce some type of build tool. I wanted people to just drop, drag and drop and just use it with static HTML potentially at this point. Mm-hmm. So that was one big requirement. And then. Yeah. Well, those are the two biggest requirements right there is what I wanted. And that's where I stumbled into this Avo method. I've said it a couple of times, which is a method created by Michael Chan, 
he now works for Chromatic Storybook, but used to do the React podcast speaker. But he uh, is the, I'm also having a brain freeze of what the object, attributes, verbs, and objects is what that's supposed to stand for. It also is kind of somewhat of a forced way to say avocados. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not totally, obviously, it, it, this is true, but it's, it's just like every acronym. That it, sometimes it's a little forced, so that way you can say <laughs> the thing that you want. But it's it very, focuses on using attributes instead of class names as selectors. So that by itself gets me almost guaranteed no collisions because people are probably not using attribute selectors, and if they are, they're probably not using data bedrock center as their attribute selector. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> so I, I have like ninety nine percent you know, guarantee that I'm not going to have collision with anybody else's class names or, or whatever that happens in the future. Mm-hmm. But the other really nice thing that it, it allows me to do is enforce the modifier. So in, in a typical class name kind of thing, you'll maybe have like a button component, for example. So you'll have like BTN as your class name. I, I think everybody does BTN. I, I think it's like guaranteed that you have to use BTN <laughs> as your class name. Um, and then you, if you want to modify, you want your primary button, you have another class name with BTN dash primary or something like that. And then using your typical BEM conventions. But you can't enforce that people won't just use BTN primary without the, the, the button. It has a dependency on the class name, but you can't enforce that as the library author, you just have to hope that they're using things correctly. And then, and stretch that out that like, then you can, in your class names, there's no reason that any of them have to be right next to each other. So you could have BTN, hero, some other like class name. And then at the end, they put it on BTN primary. And then you lose that, like that coupling of what that they're supposed to be together. Yeah. And so that's kind of an API I didn't want with Bedrock, but instead of using that by using attributes, I can give those attributes values and select on whether those values exist using either like the tilde, you know, equals or, or even just like a wildcard, depending on what, how like big of a, whatever I'm trying to select, I can actually like enforce that that attribute and the modifier are like coupled together whenever possible. That also seems like a way of cutting down on just the, cr- cl- the craziness that can happen in a class attributes. <laughs> Just because with Tailwind getting popular and such, sometimes you look at class and it's just like, it's ballooned out, right? It's, it goes like 200 characters off into the wilderness because you're, you're adding six things, which can make it lost every context of what that was supposed to be at that point. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's hard to just mentally parse because you're looking at it and it's just this like dump of classes. And so Mm -hmm. I, at first glance, I kind of like the approach just because. It's just more like data primary equals true, data color equals yellow. I, I don't know. These are poor class names, but right, like all your <laughs> normal things you'd put in like some class name, just you can come up with a more like, I don't know, like, I'd say like developer friendly way of it, it almost feels like you're setting attributes on a component versus just a, a slew of class names. Exactly. Well, and that's exactly what this, it gives that same API feel that developer experience that you get like you were saying, that I that you get with the React component library, but by using just CSS. And so it's been a great, yeah, way to handle that that prop like API that you get in in a purely CSS library without any build tools, without any other dependencies. 
It also reminds me of back when I did some native development, a lot of the components you work with there, like, cause there's no CSS on like native <laughs> iOS or Android. So you do th- things like say border equals and you right? It's not a, it's not like style equals border colon. There's just like a border attribute on the component itself. And, you know, same with all the other CSS like properties. So this feels a little bit more like that. And I say that it's like a uh, positive thing. Cause I think it, it does make it more parsable, readable for developers. Yeah. Yeah. And the really nice thing is, yeah, it, you get that same context of like, this is a layout component. This area is doing layout. It's doing something and here's configuration, but you can still use all of your class names and, and have all that be over there and give some other context. So it can still be a hero or whatever it is that you're using for your conventions. But also like you can see your hero is also doing some other layout and you don't lose that in the context when you're looking at just the HTML that your hero also has these layout kind of things going on at the same time. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, I think like the one tricky thing, like I could see mixing and matching them being a little (laughs) bit weird. Um, But I like since this is coming from a framework, it sets it aside also is like very clearly, this is the stuff the framework's doing. And then I can reserve the style for my own whatever, because presumably I'll need to make some tweaks on top of bedrock for colors or whatever else I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, 100%. And, and that's what, exactly why I wanted to like try to do whatever I could to avoid collision. So you didn't have to worry about whether my framework, you're going to collide with my framework by adopting it as you start doing your own unique styles or using whatever method it is that you're using Tailwind. That's the way you want to go. You, it's not going to, it's almost 99% sure that it's not going to collide with your class names because it doesn't use any class names. <laughs> Yeah, that seems like a a fantastic way to do it. So I guess one thing that some people might be listening, if they haven't really gotten the gist of it yet, is you can use this framework with any other CSS styling framework that you wanted to. It could be Tailwind, it could be Bootstrap, it could be like a design system library like Chakra or Ant Design. And as far as we understand it and you've built it, it will not be an issue. It will just be an extra set of utilities. Exactly. That's that's what it, it's always designed to be the missing components of your design system. But the extra things that just help you get that, make your layout composition easier without getting in the way of what you're already doing. Awesome. So how is the how is the library done in terms of usage? Like I'm I'm curious like your motivation behind this like is this just something that you're using personally and you're just happy to to maintain it for your own purposes? 
are you trying to build this so you can be acquired by Vercel and be the? <laughs> you had to use I would love to be acquired by Vercel. Yeah, <laughs> I think... I'm just curious, like motivation behind the project, and you know, have you seen growth? How how has that been going? I have seen growth, but the motivation has, and I hope will always be because it's what I like to do, and that's ultimately like yeah, what I want. That's what I want out of it is just a community, just and also to like just build my continue to build my own skills, continue to give me another outlet. I love programming for work, but like you still, you don't get to control what you program for at work. Mm -hmm. You're always building something for somebody else, which is fine. That's we're a transactional society, but this is something I build for me. And so that's, I, I hope it will always continue to be that though. I guess if Vercel wants to pay me full time to work on it, I'm not going to say no, (laughs) but (laughs) <laughs> or or Netlify, anybody out there who has all that VC money. <laughs> so how has the adoption been so far of both the original Bedrock and now this new version of it? Is it being met in the community with positive, you know, positive feelings and a lot of people trying it out? I get positive feelings. I don't get a sense that it's like hitting a lot of people's production uh, code, but like I do get... I do get issues. I get people who come in and say, hey, we're missing this. When the React 18 update came out, I was surprised when a bunch of people were like, hey, could you mind bumping your peer dependencies to React 18? Because <laughs> now all my NPM is now complaining to me. And I was like, oh, there are people using this. So that's nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> so maybe I should break it more and find out how many people are really using <laughs> it. But, but no, no. In some ways, I am somewhat... I get somewhat surprised because there's not like this big community or people are like asking me a lot of questions, but I do get people who will just come in and and make updates to like spelling mistakes on the documentation Mm -hmm. or things like that. I had, when I spoke at React India, uh, one of the MCs actually came and said, Hey, I'll help you fix all your grammar. (laughs) I was like, great, because I need (laughs) all the help on the website. And he did a major pull request, fixed the entire like website's grammar and made it actually. use proper English. Nice. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So the, it's not like this like major following, but yeah, there's some people out there who are adopting it and using it. Yeah. It used to be a joke that like in big corporate environments, when you had some system that you weren't sure if anyone was still using it or if it was dead, you'd like turn it off for just like an hour. Right. And just see if you get any like complaints or emails and then if if no one does then just you know turn it off for a day and then if you know if, if then no one's using it just completely accident no, you or, keep it off yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean there is some precedent for for doing that sort of thing <laughs> no actually if i it was kind of a nice relief feeling when the react 18 thing came out and people started i started getting those issues hey this stopped working on react 18 and all that stuff so yeah i because i've also it's I don't know. It's, I feel like the hardest bump to get over with any sort of open source project is to get from something you just threw out there to get those like first few users in the door and using it. And I say this as someone who's put out a lot of like just junk. Like my GitHub is basically <laughs> like there might as well be tumbleweed, right? There's a bunch of projects and nothing really <laughs> happens on them, but it's partially because I haven't put much effort into them, but it's also because that is a real challenge to just start to get users and get a community because let's face it there's a lot of it's it's a joke but there's lots of javascript frameworks out there there's lots of css frameworks out there and trying to stand out from the crowd is difficult so it's a testament that 
you're getting some usage and getting some community involved. No, and I know like there's like there's some big ones out there that are going to take up all the the air in the room. Like the we said it several times, bootstrap tailwind. And, and I know like I it's going to be hard to like even get a word in edgewise as far as like community adoption. So I just feel glad that like like you said like I'm even have I'm even at the table as far yeah. as usage so well maybe like because we have i'm sure we have listeners that are using like bootstrap and tailwind maybe you could just speak a little bit on like just differentiating right like why if somebody's using that today or and they're starting up a new project like why would they want to consider bedrock layout like if they if they have a background knowing those those approaches yeah yeah what what bedrock layout gives you is a way to quickly build some pretty complex layout in a responsive way without having to like know a lot of the, the underlying CSS without having to like be an expert at that. And well, or, and even if you are, you don't have to continue to rebuild the same thing over and over again. Yeah. That, that was, even though like I know how to do this, I still prefer to use these components over the actual raw CSS. Cause I can get something really out there really quickly. And it also changes the way I think about layout. I don't think of layout as the technology I happen to be using. I think about it as a pattern layout pattern. And I think that's a good way to think about web layout. So for example, if I want something vertically centered and horizontally centered in, in a section, like you can think of all the different ways you can do that with CSS, or you can just use a cover component, which covers a section and vertically centers its children and compose that with a center component, which centers the children inside it horizontally and allows you to then potentially center the text as well. And if you think about it as those as different layout patterns, you can then start to parse and think about your your application differently instead of what technology am I using? Like what layout pattern do I want to use for this? Yeah, and I really like, I think your tagline about being like the low dash for CSS is is quite good for this because that's sort of how I think about it because I, I run into this, like if I'm building a new page for a site or something like that, it's like, well, I... I know how I could do this with just CSS, right? I But I would also be looking up the Flexbox syntax because I'd never remember what it is. So I'd bring up the same CSS tricks page that I've viewed like 60,000 times to look that up and I'd spend an hour doing it. And like, I could get it to work, right? Like I've been doing web development for a while, but also like I might end up with a mess in CSS that's like Flexbox syntax. It's not easy for people to read, right? Like in to maintain. And it's far easier to see just a handful of class names. I think it that sort of thing makes it more maintainable too. So if somebody just hops in, they don't have to like, oh, let's find where is the CSS for this? And like, crap, what does that Flexbox do again? It's far easier to just see like, oh, they brought in this framework. They used a human readable thing. And like, I understand what's going on here. The spacing is you know done by someone who's tested this and thought about it and not me just making up M's or REMs out of the blue. So <laughs> it's I guess this is fifteen pixels. Maybe it's fourteen. That's fourteen. Yeah. That looks good. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Gosh. Yeah. Having like the mock up lined up with the browser, like, yeah, yeah, that looks good enough. <laughs> Close enough. Right. Yeah. Seeing something like center text or center children is so much more explicit about what's going on without having to dive too deeply and, and figure it out and turn stuff off and turn it back on to see what's going on. Well, yeah. And also, like like TJ was just saying, like, just I can read, like, what's going on in a component. But, like, if I have to read three or four lines to parse what's going on versus, mm-hmm. 
like a good function name. We'll just take like basic JavaScript. If you have like, you can read three or four lines and figure out what's going on. But if the function name says get user, you don't need to go look at that. You can go, oh, this gets a user. It's the same kind of concept. Yeah. And I think it benefits from, because this, I, I feel like this is the thing that made Tailwind quite popular as well, is that all the things that describe the the thing are right there with the markup too. So you don't have to like, like have the CSS and the markup and do the mental like mapping of like, okay, this is here and this is here. And like, oh, okay, that bit of CSS came from the global style sheet, which is over here. So let me like <laughs> doing like a, a puzzle in my head and when it's all right there, or at least the most important, like the layout pieces of it are all right there. It just just makes your life a little bit easier. Yeah. And then I slap an important on a CSS class <laughs> and I need to override everything that's already been set up. <laughs> or, or you fool yourself and go, well, I'm not going to use important because that's bad. So I'll just use like three class names so I get extra <laughs> like, you know, specificity on mine. And then someone else goes and uses five class names. So they'll override yours. <laughs> I I did it. I define an ID. <laughs> I, I did end up in a situation the other day where I was bringing in CSS that was just third party stuff, and they had used important in theirs, and so like it it just becomes like an arms race, right? So I had to out importance them, like because then I I it's the first time I've ever ran into this. But if you can override an important, but your important has to be more specific. The specificity <laughs> matters. And it's just at that point, it's like you start to question your career choice. Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you should start up a farm or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. exactly 100%. Yeah. It, it's just like who can win the important and specificity battles. <laughs> and that's, that's when you just go put everything in line because then you always win, right? Except for important. So, yeah, yeah. You, you might have to important in line. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I guess one question that I have, Travis, is how did you come across this AVO method? You said that Michael Chan, who's very verbose on Twitter, fantastic, <laughs> is great if you don't follow him already. He he does drop a lot of good knowledge, but I, I had never heard of this, honestly. So, you know, how did it come to light for you and what made it click that this might be the right way to go for Bedrock? It was it was actually like I had originally found some of these clips like and it solved an, I initially used it to solve a problem with the library when it was still just a React component library because I needed a way to have like specifically in the columns component there it has like it, it has two different components for it. So there's the columns which allow you to do like your typical bootstrap four column layout or whatever like that. And then I needed some way for you to like wrap your com- individual parts and say, this one takes up, you know, spans four columns or this one spans only one column. But I needed a way to make sure that you could do that without having to like, like use a lot of like React stuff. And, and that's when I found out you could like, I started learning about data selectors and I just was Googling things about like different ways to like guarantee selection. And I found just happened to find a YouTube video of him doing these attribute selectors and then eventually found out he also wrote some blog posts and stuff about it. But at that point, I just use it just to solve that one problem. And then it came back to me as I was like decided, Hey, I want to make a CSS version of this. And I was starting to try to find different ways. And I'm like, yeah, there was this attribute thing. Maybe I look into it a little bit more because I only looked into it enough just to solve that one problem. Then I was done. Just like all of us. Like, it's like, I solved my problem. I'm done. I don't need to read documentation anymore. (laughs) Fine. I stack overflow copy paste. Yeah. I don't need to read the other comments. I figured out my solution. But, no, and started really understanding like its real value, understanding that like 
attributes have the same specificity as class names. And so really, really getting into the, the nitty gritty with that. And it was interesting because it solved a problem for him. He's working on the design system at his old company, but he needed to have a design system that worked on not just the web, but also dealt with old Ruby code as well as React code. And he had a need to have an easy, quick way that you can copy and paste back and forth between them. And the unfortunate thing with the React JSX is that you can't copy and paste HTML as JSX. There's always your one-offs, your HTML4s, and your class names, <laughs> and all these different things that you can't are not really HTML, and so you can't 100% copy back and forth with. I think there's been proposals to fix that, but like I think it'd be too hard for React to, to fix that anytime soon. And so I think for a long time, we're going to deal with that unfortunate byproduct of JSX. Yeah. But anyway, that was his, that was what he needed for. And that was their solution. They built their design system around these data attributes. So that way they can go back and forth between the two paradigms whenever they need to. And it just felt natural as I started trying to adopt it with bedrock. Do you think it's an approach that would work for just anybody's just random web app that they're like, if, if, you know, I work at company X and I'm starting up a new React app. Do you think it's an approach that you'd use for everything? Or do you think it's best sort of like scoped to like libraries like like you've written? I think generally speaking, it's probably, yeah, scoped for like very specific use cases like libraries or like a, your company's design system or something that's universal like that. I mean, it's like anything, like when we double down on just one thing, you get some really good benefits, but you also get some negative things. Yeah. And I think there's some potential, like if you just double down on attributes, you would just get, create as many problems as you have You're with using class names. <laughs> yeah. The design so. system though is interesting though. I could totally see that. Like it, I think it's a way of like clearly almost showing which parts are coming from like your corporate design system. So that's actually mm-hmm. kind of fascinating. I could see that working. That makes a lot of sense because I've I've worked in companies where we've had very understaffed teams who are devoted to trying to build a design system. And they're using something like web components because they want it to work with React and Vue and Angular and all the other things that people are building. The actual teams are building their applications with. And it just I've never seen it turn out well. So having something like that where you can add data attributes, that seems like a great, great solution. No, I agree. And it is using the embracing the platform, but it's embracing part of the platform that people don't typically think about or use on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And so it's not like so many things like, and I, I'm a big fan of style components still, but you're still like, you're not embracing the platform at that point. You're, <laughs> you're, you're using JavaScript and forcing <laughs> JavaScript mentality to CSS framework. And there's some good reasons why sometimes you need to do that, like with CSS modules or whatever. But like sometimes like you really just need to go and embrace the platform and use it and not use it when other tools when the platform is just as good. Well, it's funny because we used to use data attributes all the time in the jQuery days because <laughs> the, the DOM was the place to store things because you didn't have a, a library to do it. Uh, so I remember, man, this is bringing back some nostalgia, but yeah. <laughs> When that that the, was your state library, was the <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tom yeah. was your state library exactly. <laughs> Data dash everything, you'd get six or seven of them going. But yeah, nowadays that's sort of like with the advent of React and Angular and Vue and whatnot. But those days are gone. I can't even remember the last time. Uh, it, it, it's had to have been years since I last touched one. Yeah, it, 
but I, I think the last time I, before this, the only other time I did this was working on something with a table component and I needed to keep track of what row I was on in a way that like I could select it both with CSS as well as keep track of it with JavaScript. And that was the best solution I could find. Yeah. So like they come in handy one off, but yeah, nowhere near like what they used to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, Travis, this has been awesome. Is there anything that we missed? Is there anything you'd like to uh, to discuss that we we haven't talked about yet? No, I, I had a really great time. Just glad I could like bring and share the updates with Bedrock. Kind of roadmap where I'm looking to go potentially forward is now that this exists is I'm looking at potentially not getting rid of the style components. I still think there's a lot of value to it, but like keeping a parallel version that. Like the React, there's a base, uh, React component that depends on the live CSS library instead of style components. So that, that allow it to be more future proof potentially as maybe things go in and out or style components. If it ever gets dropped, yeah. I can take it off as a dependency. So that's the roadmap I'm looking to go in. And if anybody wants to help me with that, I'm always looking for contributors or people who want to help me out with maintaining the library. Awesome. Where Where's the best place to go? Like if people want to start, well, first of all, if people want to start using the library, is it best just Google the, the homepage or we'll have it in the show notes? And then if you want to contribute, like what's where's the best place to go for that? Yeah, the GitHub is probably the best place to go for that. Just throw out an issue or a discussion, whichever one is easier. And yeah, that's the, the quickest way to get start contributing or even just offering. I I some of the biggest contributors haven't written a single line of code to the website, but I consider them contributors because they've helped me really build out the library from just like, this is what the API is to become a much more useful tool than it used to be. So whatever advice you can give or help out to build the library, I would appreciate it. Yeah, sometimes the best contributions, like in, in fact, it's, I'd argue code is actually like the hardest to contribute and it's far easier to give like you can give feedback like open a discussion with feedback i tried it and this is what i think this is what i found you could open like documentation if something wasn't documented you could add it uh, add a new section send in a pr those are usually the easiest ways to get started if with any library in general when you're trying to contribute 100 mm-hmm. examples writing little blogs of how you used it that's that kind of stuff to be able to look through and see how somebody else implemented it is so useful to me. Yeah. Blogging about it, right? Making a video, doing a Twitch stream, whatever the kids are doing these days, you could make, <laughs> make TikToks on it. I don't know. Go for it. Oh, I would love to see a TikTok on my brother. I'm trying to figure out how you would do it. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, I think this is a good time to transition into our picks. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Uh, Paige, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So uh, something that I've really been enjoying this week is uh, actually it's a longer running Netflix series. It's been on for, I think, through four or five seasons, maybe, and it's called Drive to Survive. So if anybody, you know, Formula One seems to finally be sweeping the U.S. like it has in Europe and South America and pretty much everywhere else in the in the world. And I think that a big part of it is due to this the series, which goes and tells you the stories of these drivers who are driving for Ferrari and for 
Mercedes and Haas and all these other smaller teams that you've never heard of, but are really, you know, part of the pack. And it's, it's really a lot more compelling than I thought it was going to be to see the pressure that these people have on them, the amount of money that they're being given to race, you know, essentially gigantic, really expensive go-karts. And uh, it's it's a lot more fun and exciting than I thought it was going to be. So if you're looking for something that is reality TV-ish, but also feels like there's a lot of story, because they did put a lot of effort into really making these stories and making these characters fully fleshed out versions of themselves, I would definitely recommend it. I think I think you'd get a, get a kick out of it. I'm a longtime Formula One fan, so I will give that a a giant plus one. I'll, I will say the unfortunate side effect is it has made ticket prices for the U.S. races like absolutely skyrocket. I'm sure. <laughs> we were considering going to the race in Austin this year. Well, no, they had a race in Miami and like the average ticket price was like seven, eight hundred dollars. It was like, oh my, it's just, oh, starts, yeah. <laughs> but it's a good series. So you should definitely check it out. <laughs> yeah. My pick for this week is going to be Bytes, which is a JavaScript noodle splutter done by Tyler McGinnis and the people at UI Dev. Uh, it's awesome. It, it's just the writing is top notch. Uh, so it's become my favorite JavaScript newsletter to follow because it doesn't just present the biggest news, but it puts an entertaining spin on it. And I always look forward to it. So it's bytes.dev, B-Y-T-E-S.dev, uh, if you want to check that out. I, I would also plus one that as well. It's it's the highlight of my Monday is to read that. <laughs> I know. And I normally getting like an email about JavaScript is not normally any highlight <laughs> of my day. So it's testament to them that the writing's that good. <laughs> uh, Travis, what picks do you have for us? I am, uh, in just in context, my wife and I are big murder mystery like fans, like old school Perry Mason, Murder, She Wrote, all the way to like, monk and everything and the newest one that we have been hooked on is only murders in the building and they're on season two and as of the moment this is recording they're only halfway through i'm sure but it might be done by the time this drops but it is amazing perfect the combination of steve martin and martin short and i also have a brain freeze of her name um, it's like isn't it Selena Gomez? Gomez. Yeah. yeah yeah like they're like that trio is hilarious and it's just I knew Martin Short and Steve Martin were great together, but adding Selena Gomez is just like, it's like a perfect combination of like funny personalities. I've heard good things. I haven't seen it yet. So I have to convince my wife to check it out because she is not a murder mystery sort of person. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get her buy-in. It, it's a good, funny thing. And it it's, doesn't emphasize the murder mystery. Well, it okay. doesn't not emphasize it, but it's also like for people who are just casual, like fans of just shows and, it just happens to be a murder mystery. That's yeah. probably a, this is a good entryway into it. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> cool. Well, Travis, this has been awesome. Uh, last question. If people want to, to follow you and whatnot, what's the, what's the best place to do that? I'm on Twitter at Travis Waithmare, one word camel case, or I also have a blog at non traditional, non dash traditional dot dev. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you, you'll have to come up when you add the third variation to the library a year from now. You'll have to come back again so we can talk about it because this, this is always a blast. Let's make it an annual thing. <laughs> I like it. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody. And until next week. See you then. See you guys. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.